have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people? I'm so happy to be back with you. Uh, we're here still in the study on the book of Revelation, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you. The book of Revelation is probably one of my favorite studies uh, because it dips into all the portions of the Bible. Um, I, I like going into Revelation. I've been teaching Revelation here in Auburn and in Birmingham here again. It is that time of the year, and so it is only befitting that we be doing it here on dollars. Bible School. So the last time we, together, we talked about uh, Revelation 4, which I am a big fan of Revelation 4. I think it's ironic that the last time we were together, we did I did Revelation 4, and I ironically did Revelation 4 yesterday uh, at church. Uh, Revelation 4 is, is, is one of my favorite portions of Revelation to talk about because I get excited about heaven. And it's, there's nothing to be afraid of when you are a Christian, when you're saved and you're sure of your salvation. You don't have anything to be afraid of because you know that, that what happens in Revelation 4 is good for you. Um, and, and that's kind of how the rest of the book of Revelation is going to go. You know, we're out of the church. We're out of the church. We've been out of the church now for a, book, a chapter. Um, but when the church is now removed, everything else that happens is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. It's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, but it's not a bad thing because you're a Christian and you're saved. It would be a bad thing if you weren't saved. Um, and that's just a little bit of food for thought. But we're in Revelation 5 today, and, you know, I, I, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's start reading verse 1. It says, And I saw him in the right hand, in the right hand of him who sat on the scroll, written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals okay i'm going to stop right there that's verse one verse one and i saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne uh written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals now let me just put this in perspective scrolls are like the synonymous uh with books today um scrolls are like old school books they would be feet feet of several feet um and 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 we just put it in perspective when you start thinking about scrolls uh the, the books of, of the Gospels, so Matthew was one scroll, okay? Mark was one scroll. Uh, when we start looking at books that hold a 1 Corinthians, a 2 Corinthians, those are letters, but it was one scroll for the 1 Corinthian letter. There was one scroll for the 2 Corinthian letter. Now, when we go back to the Old Testament and we start thinking about uh, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, now you know those books are actually recorded in tandem. The only reason we have a first Chronicles and a second Chronicles is because they ran out of scroll and they had to start over. 
uh, but that story goes together. So the scrolls are the synonymous with books. That's why we call them the books of the Bibles. Uh, but there is a scroll sealed with seven seals. Now, I want you to also think of, be thinking in this context that the Roman will or the deed was also sealed with seven seals, okay? At this time where we're writing, Rome is a really big deal. Uh, you remember Jesus was killed on a Caesarean cross. Um, Rome is in control, and Rome is going to that Roman Empire is going to be in control for a long time. Okay, so but the Roman will, so the will to your property, your will, your final will and testament, uh, the deed to your property, it was sealed with seven seals. Okay, now we know the se seven seals um, has biblical meaning, but it also has meaning in in in, in the secular world, and it both means completion. So when we see something sealed. Um, we want to think seven seals. Seven seals means complete. It's, it's completely sealed. Now, let's go a little bit deeper. When we start talking about sealing of something, uh, the seals on paper would be uh, the same thing as, as, you know, people who write old school letters, kind of like I do. I know not a lot of people do, but I do. Uh, we have a, a thing we do with a little bit of wax. We light a candle, and we let the, the wax fall onto the paper, and then you put your personal stamp on it, okay? Your personal stamp on it. And when you put your personal stamp on it, that, that t signifies that A, it came from you, but B, that between you and the person you intended it for, that it hasn't been interrupted, see? Because when that wax melts, if they don't have your seal, they may be able to melt the wax down to get into it, but they can't reseal the paper without your seal, or it'll, there'll be proof that somebody has opened it um, that you that was not you. Now, now this, this seal that we're talking about here, is the title deed to the earth, okay? This this scroll that we're talking about is, is, is going to be the equivalent of the title deed to the earth. Now, we know throughout time, Satan has creeped, crept in, and, and God creates the earth. Satan creeps in, sin enters, and then the tabernacle is created. When the tabernacle is created, uh, before the tabernacle, jo Noah has an ark. The tabernacle is created, then Jesus happens, and we know that there has been this constant battle for who owns the earth. You know, Satan has, has been claiming dominion since man has fallen. God has been redeeming his people from the beginning uh from from putting from the beginning where he puts lamb skins on adam and eve to the place where he makes the tabernacle and he makes the ark of the covenant uh we we all the way up until we meet jesus jesus then is sealed um <laughs> and and so we see this war that is taking place from the beginning of time for the the title deed to the earth and its inhabitants now if you'll indulge me for a second, I want to talk about sealing because it is a it is a theme that comes up in the Bible a lot. Okay, it comes up a lot. You know, when we start with with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, God created them in His likeness and His image. He created them in perfection. They sin. When they sin, they're unsealed, unprotected, unkept. God makes them leave his presence, remember? Even though he covers them with the lambskins, he makes them leave his presence. Now, then he, he a couple of generations later, he tells Noah, I'm about to destroy the earth. It's going to rain, you know, makes Noah sound like a nut. And he has Noah build an ark. Now, if you venture through, the, uh, through Genesis, in his instructions on how to build the ark, he tells him to pitch it within and without. Pitch the ark within and without. And in telling him to pitch it within and without, he seals the content from what's happening on the outside, okay? It cannot be altered. So when Noah, his family, and all the animals board the boat, it now causes what's on the inside of the boat to not be altered, 
changed, frayed, or destroyed from what's happening on the outside. The earth is being destroyed. People are, are dying. There's pandemonium. People are screaming. The earth is being destroyed. The animals that did not get to board the boat are now being wiped out. But that which is on the inside is sealed, okay? Another example. We move forward a little bit. After Noah, Noah, then Abraham, and then after Abraham, uh, there comes a time where they, you know, the, you know, the, the, the tribes are formed because uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob happen. Then we have generations, generations, generations. Joseph goes. He takes them to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, they spend time. Joseph dies. When Joseph dies, um, they're still in Egypt, and they are enslaved. I know you're familiar with the story. When they get to Egypt, there comes this baby named Moses, Okay. And in the time when they're trying to kill babies, um, Israelite babies, and Moses' mom looks at him and says, my baby is too precious for me to kill. And so the Lord gives her this wisdom and says, take a basket. Now, I want you to watch. The scripture says it's an ark, kind of like Noah's ark and like the ark of the covenant. Now, he takes this ark and they pitch it again. There's that word within and without. Now, there's a baby in the in the inside and this this basket of sorts or this ark of sorts have been pitched within without now same concept the contents on the inside cannot be frayed with by what's going on outside now the water that this baby is traveling through this baby moses is traveling through water with alligators and all types of snakes and things that would harm a newborn baby but the it has been pitched within and without so it doesn't matter what the baby's basket or ark comes in contact with it's been sealed. It doesn't matter who tries to destroy it, who tries to steal it, who tries to harm it. It can't be hurt because it's been sealed, okay? It's been pitched within and without. And then we can travel back about two generations later uh, when Moses is leading them in the wilderness and he gives Moses these instructions on how to build a tabernacle. When he begins to tell them how to build the various altars and the Ark of the Covenant, each of them, he tells them, here we go again, we see the same term, to pitch it within and without. So there's this, 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 this sealing that God does throughout Scripture. And so when we start to see the title deed to the earth or the scroll with the seven seals, we see nothing short. God is not a God who haphazardly, he's not putting one sticker on it. He's not licking it so that it might stick. God is a God who causes things when he, when he speaks it into existence, it sticks, it stays, it's sealed. Now, here's the interesting piece to me. When I teach children to pray or I teach grownups to pray, um, I often, I conclude with telling them, explaining to you this way, that when you say in Jesus' name, that is your stamp, so it ensures that your prayer makes it to heaven. But I also teach that a man, or so be it, is the seal that guarantees what you prayed does not leak out, okay? And I know that that's a very juvenile way of putting it, but 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 here's here's what I need you to understand. Now, you remember when we were talking just a, just a chap, two chapters ago, when, when God refers to himself, one of the times he refers to himself as the great amen. Okay, the great so be it, the, the one who has the final say. When he wrote the seals, the title deed to the earth, the, set, the, scroll, these, the seven seals, that it, it's not something that anybody can do. Not just anybody can, uh, to, can, can get in here. No, not anybody has access in this way. And so here we are in Revelation 5, and that's kind of where we are. Okay, so I've given you this perspective. It's sealed tip, tip tight. Um, John can't walk open and open it. The angels can't open it. Uh, the 24 elders are not good enough in all of their goodness. They're, they're, not, they're not there, right? 
And so let's move on to verse 2, and I'm going to kind of continue to build on this case for this seal. He says, And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming it with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Now, here's an, an introduction to Christ, right? Because it presents this question, can man solve his own problems? Can man open the seals with by which it takes perfection to open? Can man fix his own issues? And, 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 and we obviously we know, can man fix his own problems? The Christian understands no. But the world seems to believe so, okay? You know, humanity has tried time and time again to, to create the, a utopia. And we've tried to create, create world peace. We've tried it by way of war. We've tried to say no guns. We've tried to uh, convince people with money. We said if everybody had enough money, there would be peace. And we said that, that if everybody would be this, that, or the other. But the truth is that without the hand and the presence of God, man can't serve his own problems. And if you would listen closely to the news report, a lot of people seem to think that things are better and things, technology has improved. It has. We, you know, our cars will take us further. We can do more. We can go and be all these things. But there's more chaos in the Middle East. We're, we're at each other's throats more than we've ever. There are more divorces than man can count. There are people whose children are out of control. But yet, technology has increased. Man has discovered and we've been to the moon, we've been to Jupiter, we've been to Mars, we have seen and discovered, we've been up under the earth, we've been on top of the earth, we've seen the ice layer at its coldest and now at its warmest. There is there are so many things on this earth with by which we have uncovered, but even as we continue to uncover, the question still remains, can man solve his own problems? And even with the wisdom and the knowledge that we have found and we have cultivated and all that we've created, the answer remains no. Without God, we, we can't. It, it, in spite of our progress, mankind has never been in greater peril of being wiped out. You know, we, we talk about the, the, the nuclear weapons. You know, we can wipe ourselves out at any moment at, at, at the thought of somebody being temperamental. Somebody pressing the wrong button, somebody being upset with the wrong person, and it, the button being in the wrong hand, we are at, at, the, at the thought of it. We can wipe ourselves out. But man is convinced that we will have world peace, or that we will end world hunger, or that world thirst will go away. Or maybe if we just you know, do this and accept everybody and be okay with everything, maybe we can get along. And it just seems as the further we progress, the further we, we, we get thrown into turmoil. And the, the, at the end of the day, it, it's because when God is not at the center, when he's not at the center, man cannot solve his problems. And, and so we're standing in heaven here in this text. As we're standing here in, in heaven, and there's an angel proclaiming with a, with a loud voice. He says, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And then verse 3, he says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. No one. That's crazy. They're looking around at each other. Who can open the scroll? We didn't made it. We've made it to heaven. We're standing in perfection. We have the title deed to the earth. We've done our living. We've, been, we've, we've passed the test. We've made it to heaven. And, and, and the question is asked, who can open the scroll? 
And they lost time looking around at each other. And nobody's wise enough. Nobody's smart enough. It didn't matter how much money you made while you were on earth. It didn't matter how, how what you what you ventured or who you were, what position you held, whether you were high or you were low. It didn't matter if you were poor or you were rich. Nobody could open the scroll or look at it. The verse says, or to look at it. They took inventory to find somebody that opened the scroll. They looked in heaven. They looked in earth. They looked in hell. He said, under the earth, right? And they couldn't find anybody. So John says in verse 4, he says, so I wept much because no one. Now, the King James says, no man. I like that. I like that. I think that's, that's a better fitting example of what's happening here. But he said, so I wept much because no one or no man could lose the scrolls. Now, this here revisits this idea of this kinsman redeemer that it had to be a man. But a man can't serve, solve his own problems, so it has to be a man who's also God. And this is where the Christian can get excited because we already know how the story ends. Uh, but, but imagine sitting there because it had to be a man to loose the seals because God gave the earth to man. God did not give the earth to Satan. He did not give the earth to himself. It was a gift that he gave to man. When God created the earth, he goes and he plants all of this beautiful, these beautiful things. He makes plants and trees and, and even the weeds, the mosquitoes, the, the roaches, unfortunately, the snakes. He makes the dolphins. He makes the oceans. He, he separates them. He creates firmament. Uh, that He makes islands, and, and he does all of these things. He, he makes things like the Maldives, and he makes things like Tokyo, and, and he goes and he makes luscious Greenlands, and then he makes freezing cold places like Antarctica, and he, he goes and he does all of these beautiful things, and then he makes a man, and he says, you're my crowning creation. This is my gift to you. And so, but man fell at the beginning of life. Man fell. He ate from this tree, um, and, and it wasn't woman. It was man because man ate from the tree, and the commandment was given to man. So man falls, and he loses control of this, this gift, and, and so he goes into foreclosure of sorts, okay? Follow me, follow me. He goes into foreclosure of sorts, and Satan gets the deed, or he tries to. He takes control of this gift that God gives man and he wreaks havoc and he begins to influence man and he begins to do things and he starts doing it instantly okay he starts doing it instantly as he's when I say instantly like right right within their first generation you have Adam and Eve and they have their first kids and then Cain kills Abel he starts influencing them instantly and so it re when I say it revisits this idea of the kinsman redeemer you have to be familiar with Ruth or Jewish custom to understand what that means, why it had to be a man, okay? Because, because and I'm going to just break it down a little bit. If you, if you go to Ruth, I encourage you to read Ruth. Get really familiar with Ruth because it will make Revelation make sense. It will make it make a little bit, a lot more sense. Now, let's, let's just quickly, quickly go over an, an, a, a rundown of what happens in Ruth. Ruth, okay. Whew, boy. Naomi. Naomi is, is, a, is, a, is a woman. She's married to her husband. She has some boys. Her boys go and they marry these girls. Who in, they're in a foreign country because there was a famine in their land. Their boys marry some foreign, foreign girls. When they marry these foreign girls, it goes against the custom. But because there were no women, they marry these women. The men die. Her, Naomi's husband, Naomi's boys, they die. 
And so, but there is this rule in Jewish history, Jewish custom, that um, that they had to that that she had to provide for them a husband. It's called leveret. Okay, leveret works in this way. In order for leveret to work, the the women are tied to the widow. Okay, they're they're tied to the family with which they they married into, but the the family that they married into has to provide for them. A husband, okay. So Naomi is is all sad. She's all torn. She asked them to start calling her Mar. She don't want to even be called Naomi because she said that's too perky for who I am. She goes through all of that, but see what Leverett says is that she has to provide for them a husband. Well, she says well, even if I get pregnant now, I can't provide. I can't perform. And so it was her right to wave the Leverett, okay. She waves the Leverett and she says, you know what? Go back to your father's house. And, and let them set you up with somebody else because I can't perform and so I can't hold you to stay here because I can't provide for you a husband, okay? And so one of the daughters, daughters-in-law says, you know what, no, I'm going to stay. And it's just, no, go, go, go. And she says, you know what, you say I can go, I'm going to go. But then there was Ruth. And Ruth said, no, wherever you go, I'm going to go. My people will be your people. Where you are, I'll be. And so Ruth stays the course. Naomi can't understand because Naomi has nothing to give, but yet Ruth stays and loves her as a mother-in-law. And most folks don't like their mother-in-law. So this is, you know, this is a really impressive story. And, and so this law of leveret, uh, she waves it, but Na- Ruth decides to stay anyway. They go back home, but the land that was Ruth and her husband's has been, is somebody else is inhabiting it now because they've been gone so long. And so they had to find a kinsman redeemer. Well, they start, Ruth starts grazing in the fields of Boaz. Boaz sees her and likes her. And, and, and they, they, you know, she, he says, you know what? Let them, let them graze. Leave a little extra on the ground for them. All of that good stuff. One night, Ruth goes to Boaz's house um, when he's, he's asleep. And she takes the, the, the hem of his pants. I mean, the hem of his, of his, his I guess it's a, robe because they didn't wear pants takes the hem of his pants and says cover me with it now i don't want you to get this wrong because when you go read this this might look like she was like saying have sex with me this is not what she was saying what she was saying was be my covering see the hem of a man's garment had a lot of power that's where he believed the power was that's why when we talk about the one with the issue of blood she touched the hem that's where the power was that's where um the the you know the the strength was okay per se short of touching flesh she says cover me and he says, don't let anybody know you came here. I'm going to try to perform. Dude shows up. He goes. He says, but there's one person uh, who, who may be able to perform. He's actually closer. And so she, he goes and he asks him, can you redeem the land? But if you redeem the land, I need you to take Ruth too. And the guy says, well, I want the land, but I can't take Ruth. They go ahead and Boaz marries Ruth. And he brings in Naomi and redeems the land. Now, why did he get to redeem the land? He gets to redeem the land because he was a kin, okay? He was a kin to Naomi, okay? And so because Naomi was a woman in that time and women had no power, so it didn't matter that it belonged to her husband and that they had become one flesh because she was a woman, she had no authority, so she couldn't redeem her own land. So she had to find somebody in her lineage, come on, she had to find somebody in her lineage 
to claim it. They had to be akin. They had to have a similar bloodline. There had to be something that made them of the same family. Okay. So that idea of the kinsman redeemer, you had to be of the same family. You had to be of the same genus. The same DNA had to be pumping through you. It may not have, you maybe didn't have to be twins, but you had to have some similarities about you in order to redeem something on somebody for somebody else. Now, when we come back to this idea of the kinsman redeemer, okay, and I hope you're following me. When we come back to this idea of the kinsman redeemer, Jesus had to be man because man is what messed up on earth. God couldn't come back in all of his goodness and mercy and redeem, redeem them because when you, if you remember, when man sinned, he had to put a lamb in the place, but it was never enough because it was never the same. Although they could bring a lamb for each sin, it was never the same. And so they had to bring a blameless lamb, but it was never enough. When we start talking about a kinsman, it had to be of the same type, had to have similar experiences. And so when we talk about a kinsman redeemer, when he wept because he said no one, it wasn't that God was absent from heaven, okay? It was not that God was absent from heaven. It was that God couldn't do it. The angels couldn't do it because they weren't the same. And the folks in heaven did not live a blameless life. They were simply covered by the blood of the lamb. Okay? And so he says, it says, and no man was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But I like verse 5. He says, but one of the elders said to me. That's told you the church got it. The church got it. Remember, the elders are part of the church. The church understood. He said, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. <laughs> Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Okay. Okay. The root of David. All right. Now, check this out. Now, I want you to notice this. He says, he says, the, 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 the elders got it. Now, you remember last time I told, we talked about how the elders represented the church, okay? And since the elders represented the church, I told you the church understood it because we had already been saved by grace, and we understood it now. And so the elders said, do not weep because the lion, the tribe of Judah, and the root of David. Now, what I love about this is that he's the root. He's the foundation, okay? He's, he's, he was in the beginning. He was there. In the beginning was the word, okay? And then he was the reason for being. He was before David, but, but he's the root of David, but he's also the lion of the tribe of David. So he's also the conclusion of David's line. Now, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's, he's God in the beginning, and he's man in the end, but he's still God at the end as well, okay? So he says, I want you to turn. Let's, actually, let me slow down. Turn to Matthew twenty-two forty-one. Okay, Matthew twenty-two forty-one. Matthew twenty-two forty-one. In Matthew twenty-two forty-one, this is what we see. He says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, "What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is him? Is he?" And they said to him, "The son of David." Okay. So this is this is what I need you to understand. Verse five. I'm gonna read it again. He's verse five in Revelation. Okay. He says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Okay. Now in Matthew 22, 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, 
the son of David. So we see Jesus establishes both the beginning, he's the root of David, and then in Matthew 22, 41, he's established as the end of David's line, okay? So, so here's the thing, here's the thing. He's the root, he's the foundation. He's the reason for being, and he was there before David. But here he is still the Messiah to reign on David's throne, thus finishing the Old Testament and confirming the new, okay? You remember, one of the things that the Jews, what reasons the Jews rejected Jesus to begin with is because they thought that when he came in on Palm Sunday, he was about to go take the throne. And when he didn't go take the throne, they were disappointed. Now, that, the, never mind the fact that um, <laughs> there wasn't a king on David's throne at the time. But they, they, were that, they were there, and they could not understand how could this be so. So they rejected him, but here he's establishing that the prophecy that was made in Old Testament is still open, okay? So a lot of Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled through Jesus, but Jesus isn't done, okay? Jesus is yet working. And so they said, they, you know, so, so he's, you know, they, John is there, he's crying, and then one of the elders interrupts his cry, and he says, hey, there's, there is a man. He said, there is, a there is a man, there is a man, there is a man, if I've ever seen one, there's a man, okay? Now, now check this out, check this out. In, uh, okay, where are we? Now, they, in, in this conversation that's going on in Matthew, I know I'm weaving and bobbing, I hope, I hope you're catching up. Um, I'm weaving and bobbing. In this conversation that's happening in Matthew, he says, he said, that he's the son of David. And then he said, in, in verse 43, he said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying? Verse 44, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstools. If David then calls him Lord, then how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him with a word, nor from that day or did anyone dare to question him anymore. Now, I want you to notice, right? Notice this. They, he, he, you know, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? I want you to notice that these titles here that we're talking about, these titles, you know, the Lord, um, he's saying he's my son, he's the lion of the tribe of du Judah, he's the root of David. All of these things are synonymous with king of the Jews, okay? Now, I want you to let's rewind. I told you I love this book because it dips into the, all of the different portions of the Bible. Let's rewind. Let's rewind back to the cross. Now, all of these titles are synonymous with the king of the Jews. You remember on the cross, Pilate wrote, um, on the Christ cross, what we translate king of the Jews, the king of the Jews. Now, check this out. Now, this is why it really, really made the Jews mad, okay? This is why it made the Jews mad. I know we look at king of the Jews, and they were like, oh, that's so, you know, they were so upset, da 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 da, -da. This is why it made the Jews mad. It made the Jews mad because when the way that it's written in Hebrew is written Y H W. H, Yahweh, okay, <laughs> the name of God, the, the, the name that they don't even put, the, uh, the Jews do not even believe that they can put the uh, vowels in there because they think that's disrespect to God, that is the name by which they refer to God, and so that, that's what really, ang it, it angered them, but not only because they equated him to their king, but they equated him to God, but he was God. Pilate thought that he was being facetious. He thought that he was making a joke, but he was actually titling who he really was, even though the people couldn't see it. 
People couldn't see him as God. People, they, they could not understand he, that he was God. Now, I'm about to go on a tangent. And I know we're in Revelation, but I just want to give you this little bit of insight because it just popped in my spirit. Now, they, they named him as Yahweh. You know, they, they put king of the Jews. It was written in Hebrew as Yahweh. And although it was written in, 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 in there as Yahweh, we know that they rejected Jesus. So that's, that's why the elders understood it. But everybody else was like, oh, man, what's going on? Now, the elders, the elders got it. The elders understood. And, you know, we're sitting in heaven. Now, check this out, because the, is he spelled Yahweh. Now, I'm about to go a little bit deep. I'm about to go on a tangent. Follow me. Now, go back to the wilderness in Exodus, okay? The children of Israel are wandering around. As the children of Israel are wandering around, God tells them, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven, Okay? I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. When I rain down, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. Y'all been begging me for food. I'm going to rain down bread, okay? They're expecting bread. They're praying for bread. They're expecting bread to pray, to rain down from heaven. When it finally rains bread out of the sky, it didn't look like the bread they were expecting, okay? Didn't look like the bread they were expecting. And so their reaction was manna. Okay, manna. Now, usually Christians, we like to glorify manna. Oh, Lord, rain down manna from heaven. Send us some manna. Oh, we need your presence. Send your glory. We need some manna. No, manna in Hebrew means what is it? (laughs) Manna in Hebrew means what is it? Okay, so they've been praying, Lord, send bread from heaven. God, we need some food. We're hungry. We need you to rain down your manifest power. You know, they're doing all of that stuff. Send us some bread. Send us some bread. You know, Moses, go in there. Send, send Aaron and the y'all go pray for some bread. Rain us down some bread. When the brain comes, they, the bread comes, they, it does not arrive the way that they expected it. It didn't look like what they expected it to look like. And when it didn't arrive the way that they expected it to arrive, their response was manna. Okay, I need to change the way that you think about manna because we think about manna as provision, but manna means what is it? Okay, now we were just talking about Jesus here walking on earth, right? At the cross. Okay, we're talking about Yahweh and how they were upset that they called him God, but he was indeed God. But check this out he sent Jesus through types and signs and wonders and confirmed all the prophecy that they had been taught down from generation to generation. They were expecting a virgin birth. Okay. They were expecting him to be blameless. They were expecting him to do such a, 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 a vast number of things. He was going to have signs and miracles. They were expecting him to come like this, but they expected him to come looking different. And their reaction was manna. What is this? Okay. And so instead of saying, what is this? And asking the question, could this be like the wilderness? No, they didn't get that deep. They didn't think that deep. You know, we're wiser, weaker, but wiser. They didn't get that deep, okay? And since they didn't get that deep, they said, crucify him. We've got to kill him. We've got to get him out of here because he must be a bla- he must be blaspheming. And so they killed him. But realistically, they were just, mm, they had gotten stuck in the same trap that the children of Israel, who ended up perishing, for their unbelief and their murmuring and their complaining and their lack of faith. And they forfeit their Messiah. They find themselves, their Messiah is sitting in front of them. They have the opportunity to worship God in the flesh. They, they have the opportunity to lay down before him in his presence. And their response is just like their ancestors. What is it? What is this? Okay. 
And I promise you, I'm, I'm, I'm tying this back. I'm coming back to Revelation. I promise you, I'm coming back to Revelation. I want to encourage you because I believe that our word is used for the edification of the person and not just for our knowledge. I don't want you, I want you, if you've been praying for God to do something for you, in you, through you, with you, I don't want you to come to a place where you've been praying for it and it show up and you miss it, okay? Don't miss it because you're so focused on what you thought it was going to look like. Don't be like the children of Israel. Don't be like the Jews at the cross. Don't be like all the people calling for his head or those hollering outside of Pilate's office or those hollering for the, head, for, for the, for the freedom of Barabbas. Don't be like them. Don't be screaming, man, what is it? Don't be, don't, don't be looking like this can't be it because God's thoughts and his ways are not like yours. Okay? And so here's the deal. Coming back, coming back to the cross, because I promise you from the cross, I'm going back to Revelation. Even further, when, when the Jews returned to seal the tomb, Pilate responded, make, make it as sure as you can. And, and here's the deal, right? They alluded to the fact that it didn't matter how tight it was sealed, that nothing was going to be able to conceal Christ. And so, you know, what that tells me is that, that even though the, Jew, the Jews who were wandering around the desert looked at the bread and said, I don't know what it is, when the bread of life came down in flesh form, they had, there was, there was an inkling, a sense of his deity and his power, although they refused to acknowledge it. Because when they talked to Pilate and when Pilate responded to them, he said, make it, make it as sure as you can, make it as tight as you can seal it. Okay, here we are back to sealing, seal it as tight as you can. And they said, seal it as tight as you can. But I need y'all to see this, that it didn't matter how tight they sealed it. It wasn't about how tight the seal was. It was about who was opening it. Okay, so they're talking about Jesus' tomb, seal it as tight as you can, make sure that nobody can break the seal. And, and here's the deal is that nobody can conceal Jesus or nobody can conceal what Christ has already ordained. Okay, they wanted to seal him in the tomb to prove that he was not deity, but because he was deity, it didn't matter how tight they made it. Now, back to the scroll. Okay, back to the scroll. The scroll, it, it, you know, man couldn't undo it. Angels couldn't undo it. But there was a Jesus who was both man and was both God. And because he was both man and he was both God, he had power. Okay? He had power. Now, now I want you to notice this. Because, and I don't know if I've mentioned it here in this study or which study I've mentioned it in. Jesus is present. Okay. They are worried about it, trying to get the skills off. They're trying to look at the title deed to the earth. The elders bring out that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's the root of David. The elders bring that out. But what's interesting is these are Jewish terms being brought out by the church, okay? Listen, church, listen, church. These are Jewish terms being brought out by the church, okay? Jewish terms being brought out by the church. This is an, admonis this, this is an admonishment to you, okay, Christian. We don't replace the Jew, okay? The promises of God are yea and amen, okay? We don't replace the Jew, but... It is our job to be familiar with the Jesus with whom we've fallen in love with. And Jesus was not a Christian. He was a Jew. We who follow Christ are Christians. 
And if you're going to fall in love with somebody, you have to understand their background. And that's why we don't throw the Old Testament away. That's why the Old Testament ratifies what we do in the New. The church, the elders, the 24 elders bring out Jewish terms, okay? And they bring out these Jewish terms because they are familiar with who he is. Now, Christians, we have a unique position in all of this because it is our job to study the, the old as well as the new. And we get a more complete picture of what's happening. We get to understand deeper. We get to look at what was. And we're not like those in the text who only saw what was happening and what had happened. We get a more complete picture. But this is, this is another opportunity for me to say you got to study to show yourself approved. You have to study to show yourself approved, okay? But these are Jewish terms being brought out by the church. Now, the interesting thing is that there are 24 titles of Jesus. And in Daniel, we can see the throne of God, but the 24 elders are absent, okay? Remember, what was concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament, okay? But there are 24 titles of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gets 24 titles. There are 24 elders. So we're, obviously, the el- one of the elders says he's, he, he, he ascribes these, 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 um, these titles to Jesus, um, these Jewish titles of Jesus. These are not Roman titles. These are not Greek titles. These are, he ascribes these titles to Jesus. And, and I think that's just a one moment for me to pull out and say that as, as a Christian, you still have to dig into the Old Testament. No, we're not bound by the Old, the Old Testament laws. No, we're not. But to understand what holiness looks like, we can, we can get a glimpse of it by reading it. Okay? And so it does not throw it away. You still need it, but the way we, by which we use it is different. Okay? Let's continue reading. Continue reading. All right. Let me actually... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin at the beginning of verse 5, but I'm going to pick up in the middle of it because we've already kind of dealt with part of it. It says, One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. All right. Like I said a minute ago, it, you know, we have to have a deeper understanding of the book of Ruth to grasp the concept of the kinsman, the kinsman redeemer. Uh, but man has has and had to be redeemed just like a kinsman uh, uh, redeemed the state, okay? Now, as we were talking about the kinsman redeemer, let me give you a little bit of background. Now, the requirements of a kinsman redeemer, the Hebrew word is goel, G-O-E-L. He has to be related, so he has to be of the same kind, the same lineage, somewhere they've got to be related somehow, okay? He has to be able to perform, Okay, so he's got to have the money, he's got to have the status, the standing, and he got to have a wife that's not going to be upset about it, okay? And then he has to be willing to perform, okay? Now, we're weaving back. I told you we're going to be weaving and bobbing, so we're back to Ruth, okay? So he has to be willing to perform. Now, by marrying Ruth, Boaz becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, he's the ultimate kinsman redeemer, Okay? Now, I want you to notice this. We, I, we were just talking about the story of Ruth. Naomi was a model of Israel, okay? She was destitute. She was, you know, in a, in a bad situation. Ruth was a model of the church. Now, Ruth, now catch this. Ruth was not Jewish by, by nature, but she was married into Naomi's family, okay? That's joint heirs with Christ. Another, I told you, weaving and bobbing, weaving and bobbing. 
Um, Ruth was a model of the church or a type of the church. And Boaz in that story is a model of Christ, okay? And it didn't matter that no matter how much Boaz loved Ruth, it was her move. Okay, did you catch that? No matter how much Boaz loved Ruth, it didn't matter how bad he wanted her, it didn't matter who he thought, how great he thought they would be together, it was her move. Kind of like your Christianity. I stand at the door and knock. If any man would hear my voice and let me in, I would come in and sup with him. At the end of the day, Christianity, it doesn't matter how much you bang it over somebody's head, it's their move. Will you confess? Will you believe? Boaz had done all that he could do. He allowed her to come and graze in his fields. He made her comfortable, told the people to take care of her. But she had to come to his room that night. She had to say, you know what? Will you cover me? And so I just want you to see, see, I want you to notice how, how the Bible, it answers itself. You know, when people start saying the Bible contradicts itself, I said, you ain't read good enough. Okay. Verse six, verse six. Um, he's for, he, oh yeah. Verse six. He says, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? Now, you know, we talked about Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is present. They're saying he's, he's, he's here. He can open the seals. It's going to be okay. He says, but then, then John says, and then I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne, so right there, and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, you remember, Old Testament, the lamb is, was the common sacrifice to cover the sin of the day, okay? So the common man brought a lamb, and that's how he covered the sin of the day. Um, now, you know, priests, they had to bring oxes and bulls. <laughs> they had to make bigger sacrifice. But the common sin of the day for the common man was a lamb. So there was a lamb that looked as though, as though it had been slain. This is an image, I mean, imagery of carnage. This is, this is the carnage he endured. This is, uh, this is that he, he went through, but yet he, he stood the test. He did endure it. He didn't get off the cross. It, he, didn't, he didn't say, you know what, I got all power in my hands. I ain't got to deal with this. this. This lamb that's laying there at the throne around the elders and around the living creatures, is, this, is, this lamb that's been slain is an image of the carnage. He's like, don't forget about what I did so that you could be here. Don't forget about what I endured so that you can sit here in glory. You're sitting in heaven. You're looking on, on upon my father's face. You're seeing how the carnelian and the jasper is shining out and rainbows are popping out of his throne. Don't, don't, don't for a moment you forget that what I sacrificed so that you would be able to get here. You didn't have access to this because you gave it away. So he, he sits this, this nasty carnage driven lamb in heaven sitting before the throne. This is the perfect sacrifice perfect sacrifice is laying at the altar this is this is this is the sacrifice that that he's brought now there had to be a kinsman redeemer and there was never a good enough sacrifice it didn't matter who you were or if you were job trying to sacrifice for your children or if you were enoch who he took there was never a good enough sacrifice but here is the perfect sacrifice sitting at the throne of god now why does this matter let's go back to the tabernacle before you could enter into the tabernacle, you had to go to the outer court. When you arrived at the outer court, you brought in your sacrifice and you went by the brazen altar. When you arrived at the brazen altar, you had to strap 
your sacrifice to it. Now, this was a lamb or ram that you had raised, a bull that you had raised. You had bonded with it, but you had screwed up. And so this animal that you've come to love, you've strapped to the altar. And as you've strapped to the altar, you've watched it die and squirm. And as you've watched it die and squirm, you, you watched it become either a burnt offering and you watched it not only burn and die and bleed out and it burn up. And you have to walk away with that pain and that anguish knowing that my sin now is forgiven, but I just had to kill something else for what I did. And then you walked over to the labor and you had to cleanse yourself from that filth by which you just did. And depending on who you were, because everybody couldn't go that far, you went in another step further. And you went and burned incense if you were the priest. And the incense represented your prayers. And those prayers went to God. And if you were a priest, the high priest, once a year, you went beyond the veil into the holies of holies. This lamb that's sitting here at the throne of God was the ultimate lamb that was given, that was sacrificed. Because it didn't matter the millions of lambs that were sacrificed up until that day. There hadn't been one that was blameless enough, that was good enough. And so they, 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 this, this lamb is laid there before him. And the physical was sitting there. And so my question, you know, as I sit there and I think about it, um, you know, is this, is this after he gets, this is probably after Jesus has gone to hell. He's fought Satan. He's stolen the keys. He's risen on the third day. He said that he's come back. He's walked among the men for 40 days, and now he's ascended to heaven. But the evidence of the price paid is laying at the feet of God for the debt that we owed. So the price has been paid. Okay? Then he says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read verse 6 and I'm going to continue. He says, And I looked and behold, the midst of the throne were the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, and though it had been slain, having seven thorns and seven eyes. Now, my, my belief is, is that that's not pictured in the natural. Now, horns are symbolic of power and strength, okay? Um, and eyes are, are, of course, vision um, and in the gateway to the soul, okay? So, but the horns we can think of as symbolic as power. Then it says, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and he took out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. <laughs> uh, then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne to tell us that. You remember that? To tell us that. Where do we know that word? We heard that word. Um, when Jesus about to, when he was about to give up the ghost, he said to Telestai, it is finished. He had the access because the war for the title had been fought. The cost had been paid. So the cost had been paid. So this lamb is sitting there and Jesus comes. Now he's this lamb, he sits this, that before the throne. The price, that's the debt paid. Man has been reconciled to God. And because man has been reconciled to God, that means the gifts 
have been reconciled. And he came, he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, God. In verse 8, he says, And then, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. All right. Now, 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 this is what I love, right? This is what I love. We're, we're, about, to, we're about to see what I, what I, we're about to see what I think of when I think of heaven, okay? Because he says he's not taking the scroll. The four living elders and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, okay? Each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So, so now man has been reconciled. Ooh, okay. Man has been reconciled to God, and they take the prayers of the saints. So all that stuff that's been sitting there in limbo that didn't have Jesus' name attached to it, okay? All that stuff that people were praying and they couldn't get access to, now they start to burn the incense or the prayers before God so that he can smell the prayers and the praises as a sweet-smelling savor in his nostrils. And it is the beginning of three waves of praise, okay? And we're about to see that in just a second, all right? Uh, and, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the rundown, and we're going to run through the scripture. We begin to see three waves of praise. He begins to get worship for who he is, okay? They, they're going to worship him for who he is, just simply who he is, period. Then they're going to worship him for where he is. He's at the center of the throne of God, okay? And then they're going to worship him for what he does. Now, check this out. The difference between praise and worship is contingent on the why. Now, this is a lesson for you when you go to church on Sunday, all right? The difference between praise and worship is contingent on why, okay? What he is is worship. They're worshiping for what he is. He's simply God. It's not about the fact that he laid the slam at the, at the, at the throne of God. It's not about... of. Um, any of that, but what he does is praise, okay? I know we like to think of praise and worship as praise music as that stuff that we shout to and worship music as the stuff we cry to. That's not true. That's not biblically correct. The difference between praise and worship is what he is. We worship him for who, Lord, I worship you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you are God. You are creator God. You are just God. You are you are by yourself in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, in, in the, oh my, oh my goodness, in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God. I'm praising you for that alone. Praise, praise, praise. You loose the scrolls. You took my guilty stains. You made me white as snow. You died on a rugged cross. You healed me. You paid my bills. You, you know, you love me. When we praise him, we praise him for what he did. When we worship him, we worship him simply because he is. Okay, so we begin to see... Three waves of praise because they're going to worship him for who he is, for where he is, and what he does, okay? Now, I also find it interesting that they have harps. Now, uh, now check this out. We're about to go a little deep, a little, um, a little interesting. According to particle physics, there are ten dimensions. Four are measurable, six are unknown. Harps have ten stri uh, strings. Scripture alludes that all ten, ten, all ten dimensions vibrate in praise of God. <laughs> I told you we we're going to go a little deep. And, and that's, that's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about the word of God is that the word of God does not have to nullify. Um, it does not have to nullify science. All science, sound science will, will make an answer to who God is and what he is. If your science is not sound and you're trying to come up with something in, in, you know, the stuff that changes every year, they say it's good for your blood pressure this year and it's not good for your blood pressure next year. That's not sound science. All sound science will point you right back to God. Now, let me say that again. 
As you think about it, according to particle physics, there are 10 dimensions. All right? Four measurable. We know about four. Six are unknowable. Harps have 10 strings. Okay? So they're in heaven, and this is just my assumption, worshiping God in all 10 dimensions. Okay, the worship in all 10 dimensions. All right. Now, scripture alludes that all 10 dimensions vibrate in praise of God. Okay. So let's move on. Verse nine. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open his seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and nation and uh, uh, and people and nation you have made us kings and priests to our god and we shall reign on earth all right check let me stop real real quick they're singing a song but i want you to notice what they said and you have made us kings and priests now i can't remember if i told you this or not but there are only three people who are kings and priests you've got um, Melchizedek, who is the first first place we see tithing in the whole Bible. Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, and when he tithes to Melchizedek, he tithes because he believes that it, it is it is, is going to be a blessing. That's how we know that, that tithing is not an, a necessarily an old covenant thing. It is an old testament thing, but it's not an old covenant thing. And so when you stop doing things, let's be aware of where it appears in scripture. It happens well before Judaism is a thing, which tells us that it is something that we should practice in our daily life. I will say this, and I'm going to get off my tangent, that tithing is one of those things that it will change your life if you allow it to. And and, and how you, a lot of people say that I don't have the money to tithe or I can't afford to tithe. I've come to the place where I can't afford not to tithe because it comes with a promise. And I'm going to just leave it right there. He's made us kings and priests. And um, I, I just had to pull that out because any opportunity I, I can give you some good advice about life, I try to do such, okay? Um and it says, then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and such as are in the sea, all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. This was kind of dramatic, but, but, it's, but it's, it's so dramatic that I'm just grateful. Like, I, I get kind of excited when you think about it because they just did exactly what I said they did, right? So they, 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 they basically just this, did these three waves of worship. They worship him first for who you are. You're worthy to take. You, it's, they didn't say that you took the scroll, but you're worthy to take the scroll. And because you're worthy to take the scroll and to open his slams, because you were slain, you are now the guy that we need to be bowing down towards. So they worship him for who he is, right? Then they say, worthy of the lamb who is slain, okay, to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. He's sitting on the throne, right? He's right there in the throne room, so they're worshiping for where he is. And then at verse 13, they say, blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, uh, to be to him who sits at the throne for him forever and ever. I, I mean, when I picture this, and I want you to go there with me, when I picture this and I imagine this and I think about this, can you imagine being in heaven? 
and all the fanfare, you know, God has said, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant, you're sitting in heaven. And y'all have a moment of fear because you look around and there's this title deed to the earth. You've done all your work on your own, on earth and your family's still there. You, you've, you've yet to die yet. And when you, you get there, you're worried because it doesn't seem right. Something's off. And somebody says, who can open the scroll so that others may be able to come up here? And, and then you start to think there's nobody, and then Jesus enters. Jesus enters. And when Jesus enters, he enters with pomp and circumstance. But not the way that we think. There's a lamb they're slain. Perfect sacrifice. His body's been slain. Carnage slain. And as the lamb is slain, Jesus emerges and he takes the scroll because he's the only one worthy. And there's this moment of, of relief because then you realize, I made the right choice. I made the right choice. I have a friend who is not yet Christian. I'm still believing in faith that that will shift. And she asked me, a couple of weeks ago, she said, how do you know that, you know, you're right in believing in Jesus? And I told her, I said, I believe it with all of my, all of my being that Jesus is Christ, that he is Lord, and, and, and that it, it, is, it is wise for me to believe and to serve him and to love him the way that I do and to teach, his, to teach and operate in my gifts the way that I do. I said, I do. But if I didn't, if, if, if by chance I'm wrong, if maybe so I, 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 I misinterpreted, I got this wrong, at least I got the insurance. And how great and pleasant it's going to be to arrive at heaven and Jesus is there unloosing the scrolls. Good God Almighty. Unloosing the scrolls. And, and he has all power and the, the debt has been paid. And Jesus, sweet Jesus has paid the price. He's paid the price. That I, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I can't wait. I cannot wait to get to heaven and to see such a thing. Whew. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? He loses. He, he has the power. Nobody around. And you've got holy people. you got elders and angels sitting around these beasts with these weird eyes, sitting around all of these different kind of creatures, not common men, and nobody but Jesus. Oh, to know that he has all power. What a blessing. What a blessing. Well, guys, I hope that you've enjoyed Bible school today. I have thoroughly enjoyed Bible school today. Um, let me know what you think. You know, send, send me a message. Um, on Reverend Kojo, leave a comment. If it's been blessing you, send it to somebody, share it with somebody. Um, do, do, do me a favor and let somebody know. Let somebody know. If it's been blessing you, let somebody know. Uh, because this teaching, this teaching, it blesses me when I teach it, so I hope that it blesses you. Y'all be blessed, and until next time, this has been Bible School with Reverend Kojo. <laughs>